The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to The Mindful Experiment as I had the distinct pleasure and honor to be interviewing Angela Foster. Um, we had a great time chatting. My background is in biohacking, neurohacking, a chiropractor, energy medicine, and so many things. And I'm always, always constantly studying nutrition, health, and so much more in neurology and chiropractic and the whole nine yards that it's always fascinating when I get to have an opportunity to chat with someone about this and, and see their experience and, and what they do and how they approach nutrition and the things, the tools that they use and their analyzations and so much more. I had a really, a really great time connecting with Angela. And just to give a little background, Angela is a nutritionist, health, and performance coach. She is the host of the High Performance Health Podcast, the show where she talks about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high-performance mind, body, and lifestyle. Angela works with the high-performing clients, including top CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, and athletes. She is also the founder and CEO of My DNA Edge, an exclusive private membership site giving individuals the tools and biohacks needed to optimize their genetic expression for optimal health and performance. After to recover from a serious illness in 2014, Angela left the world of corporate law with a single mission in mind, to inspire and educate others to live an energetic, healthful, and limitless life. Love that. Angela uses a combination of modern science and biohacking with time-honored holistic practices to transform her clients' health, energy, and performance. Angela's particular field of specialty is in optimizing the expression of her clients' individual genetics for ultimate health. Angela is also authoring a book on how to biohack your mind, body, and lifestyle for the ultimate edge and human performance, which is going to be released early next year. So we had a Blake great time. We got into some neurohacking and biohacking and different concepts and how she utilizes nutrigenomics and all these other things. So sit back, relax, take some notes and have some fun as we dialogue and I share some wonderful space with Angela Foster. Angela, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. I love having someone who's all about performance, you know, and, and talking about performance and all the, the, your background and all that you've done and that you do. Uh, being a chiropractor, that's what we do. We're all about performance and how enhancing the body through a neurological standpoint. And so I'm really excited to share some space with you right now and, and to dive in. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where the conversation takes us. Yeah, it's exciting. You can kind of just go with the flow. So I always love asking this question. This is the first question anytime I'm interviewing someone is, how did you get interested in what you're doing today? How, what was the story? What was the journey? Uh, if you don't mind sharing that with us. Yeah, sure. So um, I started actually in something very different. So I started off as a, a lawyer in corporate finance, um, working kind of really long hours, weekends and following the partnership track. So I was pretty career focused in my late 20s. 
and early 30s. Um, but I'd always been interested in a healthy lifestyle, you know, keen on sports. And then basically, um, I then in my early 30s, you know, had a, a young family and I struggled initially with um, postpartum depression. And that really kind of took its toll on me, particularly the time around. So I had three children within, within a short time, within four and a half years. Uh, it was a bit of a mental battle. I don't think I'd really ever taken care of my mind in quite the way I do now um, up until I needed to. And it took its hold on me and eventually it began to affect. Um, I was put on bipolar medication and it had an impact on my immunity because I was really, really struggling and, you know, having kind of suicidal thoughts and things. And that actually took its toll on my immune system. My kids got sick, kind of cold and me that sort of manifested itself far worse and it resulted in me um, being sort of rushed into hospital um, after a CT scan and I had double pneumonia on both lungs viral and bacterial and I was fighting for my life which is kind of ironic really because after you know thinking of taking my own life so many times to then be in hospital fighting for my life and it sounds a little bit woo-woo but I think in that moment uh, there was definitely a moment for me where I realized that I was okay being with me. I, you know, you, you probably know more about this, but I, you know, I was okay being with me. Up until that point, all I'd really wanted to do was turn my mind off. It was driving me crazy, just the mental chatter. And I had me um, in the hospital. And so I'm like, actually, I'm okay being here. And, and maybe I can be, you know, a, a big part of my kid's life with them growing up. And I wanted to be. And, you know, I was so connected with my children. Fortunately for me, it never affected me in that way. And husband and they were so supportive um it was my own kind of private battle and so I um yeah I wanted to get better and and then I kind of when I when I got over that and, and left hospital I I then started researching more and more and initially it started off as a kind of my own personal quest how can I combine high performance with optimal health there must be a way to really kind of have both and then over time what I realized as I was studying that actually I see optimized health as the foundation of sustained high performance and I started working with clients and things kind of grew from there. Very interesting. I love the journey and I love how, you know, you, you went through this dark time, right? Um, mm. Some people call it the dark night of the soul and you, you know, you wanted to end your life, but then all of a sudden here comes health declining to where now, did you feel like that was your choice or is that something you had a, that was a life bringing something at you? Well, I think, you know, I think you can manifest things in life in a positive way, right? I think we can all do that and we can play a lot. And I think for me, I guess it's almost be careful what you wish for. I actually think it was there to teach me, but things did go downhill quite quickly once I was admitted. And, you know, I was told I was neutropenic. It was, you know, really we were relying at that point on the antibiotics. And, yeah, I mean, I think in, on some level I had attracted that but maybe because that was for me to go through that journey and get my head together and make an impact and that that's really what I want to do I certainly value every day so much I'm so grateful for this opportunity and I feel that it's my calling if you like to share my message help as many people as I can um, as part of that I love that and from that journey was it you know this is where that experience was that the main like because some people say like they had they had a dark night of the soul and all of a sudden from that moment on they pivoted their whole life and they went in this massive direction and they just totally transformed was that the pivotal moment in your life to take you on the course fully to where you are today 
That was definitely the pivotal moment. I'd, I'd had a little brush with health before. So when I wanted to have my children, um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. And so I'd had quite extensive surgery before having the three children and I was able to have them naturally. But I, at that point, when I was diagnosed with those conditions and I'd had this extensive surgery, I started to look into nutrition, to look into see if there was a link um, between anything that I was eating. And there obviously there was because there's a link between insulin resistance and PCOS. And so I was then kind of getting into more into health and nutrition to understand that what I ate made a difference to what was happening. And so I think that interest was there. But after having that kind of brush with my life, that was when I really just decided, actually, I'm, I'm going to follow a different path. But as I say, initially, it was really about me trying to understand how can I get better? Because as part of the, as part of the treatment for depression, um, you know, initially it started as postpartum, then I got diagnosed with chronic depressive di- disorder. And the concern was, I was told I would be on medication for life. And the concern was that if I came off it, I would trip into bipolar and have kind of periods of potentially of mania. And I think that um, what became clear to me was I was doing a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and I was trying to understand my own thought patterns and sort of manage my mind. But then when I began on this health journey, I started to look wider than that and sort of look into mindfulness and meditation and spirituality alongside that. And then kind of got into, you know, Joe Dispenza's work and um, Dr. Bruce Lipton and just realized that you can't really separate the mind and body. I love that. You're mentioning two individuals that are mentors of mine. So I appreciate that very much. I love their work. Um, how much easier was it for you from a mindset side to be able to stay focused and clear in the vision or, you know, moving, keeping yourself in a good vibe or good emotions and good aspect um, when you started to incorporate the nutritional side of things and so forth? Was it easier when you started to do that compared to when you weren't? It was easier insofar as I think, I think food makes a big difference, obviously, to how we feel, like a massive difference. I think the fact that I was, because I'd taken a bit of a career break when I had my children and I wasn't practicing at that point, I think there was a gap. So, you know, I was used to being intellectually stimulated and challenged through my job as a lawyer. And I think that when I began studying, that also gave me something to focus my mind on. It gave me a focal point. So that was helpful. What I would say is it's been a long, long journey. Um, I think the power of the mind is so strong and I'm still, I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but you know, I was maybe nine months ago, I came off all medication, which was a process. And I still, for a very long time, even when I wasn't feeling depressed, so to speak, I would still have to remind myself to put one foot in front of the other. You know, I I always think the analogy of the field um, with this tall grass that's grown up and then, you know, walkers have kind of trodden down one path or bikes have been over it and you can take that easy path. And neurologically, I think that's what happens in the brain and these connections get formed and then we create those thought patterns and it's such almost like a groove you can just slip into that's so easy. And really what you need to do is let, let the weeds grow up over that and choose a new path. And that's hard. Create that, that takes work. Creating that new path until that becomes more natural and easy is difficult. And that was definitely a process. 
I, you bring up a lot of great points that, you know, you know, you bring up a neurological standpoint, how, you know, it's the brain loves comfort. So it's always going to look for that and it's easy to slip mm-hmm. into things. Um, but the other, you know, one of the things is you said it's, it, it's a journey. It's you've been, this is something you've been working towards and you, you just got off the meds nine months ago. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. For all the listeners out there, because as a chiropractor myself, I, I, this is one of like I, I get interviewed and people ask why, you know, you love what you do and all this. There's got to be something you don't like. And I'm like, well, there's always something that you don't enjoy. And for me, it's always been time. People don't give me enough time, right? Is health a destination or is it a journey? Does it take time to heal the body and so forth? Yeah, I think it's a journey. And I think actually the way I see health is I think it's a lifestyle. I think it, you can never neglect health or hope that something that you did before is going to keep you in good health. You know, in the same way that we know that if we're not exercising, we're going to lose muscle mass, we're going to lose fitness. You can't say, well, I was fit in school and I played loads of team sport and now I'll be fit for the rest of my life. It's something that takes constant work. And so I think we get that analogy with the physical body. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased there's so much more out there now on social media that can help people. I think people are starting to understand that actually being in charge of your mind and having a healthy mind is also a lifestyle choice as well. And that we have to take action daily on a daily basis. You know, if you haven't got five minutes for yourself, then you're undervaluing yourself and you're missing something because that's when these things can creep in these thoughts and it's, it's about creating awareness first, I believe, and then um, putting in place the habits and routines and lifestyle that can support that. Love that. That is so true in so many ways. And I love the muscle analogy you use. I use that a lot also um, in, in different ways to help people with uh, understanding how it is that journey. It is that lifestyle, as you said. I really love that word. Um, when you talked about insulin resistance, and I might be turning changing, turning the page here a little bit, um, how much does insulin resistance play a role in an individual's life? I know for you, it was PCOS, and that's a huge correlation with it. Um, um, but, you know, how much does, you know, do you see, in the work you do, do you do a lot of work with like insulin resistance and things like that? Yeah, not, not specifically. I do a lot of work in terms of pretty much everyone, uh, the, the clients that I coach often they're, they're for performance. Um, but almost everybody has some form of problem nutritionally, whether that's to do with the health or there's excess weight they want to lose or they want to get leaner. You know, I think as we get older, that's always a constant battle. It requires more effort as you get older to keep things on track. Um, but I think insulin resistance is often people are missing it. You know, there, there's a lot of people out there um, that maybe are pre-diabetic and they're unaware of that and they're not managing their blood glucose. And partly that's because, yes, it's down to diet. I think there's other factors at play and people are continuously stressed. And and you see that I'm sure as a chiropractor, because you get firsthand of, you know, what their nervous system is doing, but they're very, very stressed. And it was interesting. um, I did some self experimentation, as you know, I kind of love the whole biohacking thing um, a month ago where I wore a continuous blood glucose monitor for, um, for the period of, of, of 30 days, just to see what mine was doing. And, a little device that you put in your arm and then it hooks up with an app on your phone. And that was interesting because obviously I knew I had tested my genetics as well. I know that I have a high sensitivity to carbohydrates, but what I hadn't really appreciated was the impact of stress 
on blood sugar. And when I started to see that in real time, that was a great kind of feedback thing for me, um, which was, yeah, we can talk more about if you want to, is very useful. No, definitely. I mean, so have you tested, when you say you tested your genetics, um, did you do like a, a, a metabolic test on the genes? Um, what kind of testing have you done to, you know, to know that aspect of things? Yeah. So testing your DNA, um, you can do that. I've done a few different ones. Um, you can do what's known as array testing where they just look at certain SNPs or you can do kind of full exome. Um, I've done both, but really in terms of looking at something like carbohydrate sensitivity, you don't, it's, it's an inexpensive thing to do and you'll get your saturated fat sensitivity in other areas as well, antioxidant needs, et cetera. And it's very simple because it's just done by a saliva swab, but it gives you a lot of information because you can begin to understand, well, how sensitive am I to carbohydrates and how does my body process them? Because some people actually break them down much more quickly. And if they're doing that, they're going to see blood sugar rises much faster, but also remember every time that blood sugar rises, insulin rises to remove the sugar from the blood. And that actually can cause weight gain um, in and of itself. And so understanding what your genetic predisposition is means that you can actually sort of um, tailor your diet to your genetics. It's just one area that you can tailor it to. And that's made a massive impact for me, not just in controlling things like blood sugar, but also in energy levels and mental clarity and focus. So, you know, one of the best decisions I ever made is that I just always eat a salad for lunch. And that is kind of life changing or sometimes cook vegetables with some protein, because it means that I don't get that post or dip that a lot of people feel after lunch. It means that I can be you know, I've got great sort of another three, four hours of productivity after I've eaten because I've got healthy fats, my blood sugar is stable, and I'm not getting that kind of brain fog or the sugar cravings that can happen in the afternoon, which comes with, you know, blood sugar instability. And also things like inflammation, which we know is linked to a number of the chronic diseases that we're seeing is going to be lower because when your blood sugar is very volatile, that can trigger inflammation as well. I love that. Now with the, the DNA, I've done my, I've done DNA testing on myself also in a variety of ways. Did it also tell you like a percentage of carbs you should be consuming versus fats versus proteins and things like that? Yeah, it did actually. So it gives you kind of um, the breakdown and how, you know, what proportion of saturated fats, what you might have proportion in terms of polyunsaturated, and then also looking at carbohydrates, what your overall percentage might be. And then also looking at the amount of starchy carbohydrates. Now, all of that needs adapting. I should say, you know, you, you need to work with someone because I think it's not that straightforward. You then got to look at your activity demands. So if somebody's sitting on the sofa all day and they have a low sensitivity to carbs, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they can eat a ton of them because they're not expending energy that requires it. You know, the more muscle that someone has, the better they're going to manage their blood glucose and the more um, metabolic flexibility they've got in terms of how many carbs they can eat as well. So the part of that. I totally agree. When I first got mine, cause I used to, uh, I, I got it. I was in the high fat movement before it became keto years and years ago. And it was very fascinating. Cause I was, I was big in the um, high fat, high fat, high fat. I go get my DNA. And then all of a sudden I look and it's like 30% carbohydrates, what your body wants to consume. I was like, how much 30%? I'm like, I've never eaten that. I mean, maybe when I picked out on a cake or something, but that's about it. I've never, that's crazy high. Um, yeah. So it's been fascinating. 
um, when it, when you get that information. And I know it for all the listeners, it is not a cookie cutter. You need to work with someone because it's very, there's so many ins and outs and little specifics like you were bringing up there. Have you ever done testing to, cause I know you do a lot of biohacking and we're going to get into some of that fun stuff, but um, testing with the gut and looking at that perspective on what the gut wants and the, the metabolic processes there. Yeah, that's a really interesting area. I haven't done a lot of it yet. It's not, it's not been my area of focus. It's still really, really developing. Um, I do do it with, with clients and I look at it, but I think that we, know, we still know so little about gut health. I think that we're really learning and there's some great testing out there that's also learning through kind of AI and the more people, a bit like genetics with ancestry, trying to work out where people are from, the more testing that goes on, the better information we have in terms of how to optimize gut health. Um, but yeah, that I, I do some of it through companies like Genova, for example, who are pretty comprehensive. Um, but I don't think we're, I think we still got quite a way to go on gut health, but it definitely plays a huge part. And also in the whole kind of neurotransmitters as well, and the way that we, you know, make most of the serotonin that we have, which is our kind of happy motivational hormone, um, is made in the gut. Yeah. And so much that goes on in there, but I, I've done one with, um, um, biome before. And, oh, yeah. and it was interesting because, you know, we're just talking about percentages and I'm you know, with carbohydrates and stuff. And I started laughing because my gut wants 50% carbs versus the DNA wanting 30. And I was like, how are they not communicating with each other? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they clever enough? <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to the DNA stuff, does epigenetics play a role in that from a nutrigenetic stamp, genomic standpoint, because, you know, can that influence and change or is that kind of like what um, kind of your ancestry plays a role in that to where it kind of sets the tone of that? So I think epigenetics is, is you make such a key point there is the most of it. It's so important. So really what we're talking about, you know, for, for listeners is epigenetics sits above the genome. That's why it's called epi. And essentially it's the translation. It's what ha what's happening in real time, the way that your DNA is communicating and creating. And that's largely down to your environment and your lifestyle. And it kind of, if we use that example before, we were talking about somebody who has more muscle mass will have greater um, blood sugar management and more metabolic flexibility there it is in the epigenetics so somebody that is yes they may have a genetic predisposition to diabetes but through a healthy lifestyle they're actually vastly changing their genetic outcomes so there's different ways of doing it less active then you're going to need to eat less carbohydrates to minimize that risk whereas you can have greater flexibility if you're somebody who's very active and make sure that they're strength training at least two to three times a week to keep you know to stop that sarcopenia that effectively happens with age and actually boost that muscle synthesis as well so epigenetics plays a huge part it's all about the expression and you know i always say our genes are not our destiny for the most part yes there's a few things that you may be unlucky and you feel that, you know, when the cards were dealt, you were unlucky to get that. And there are a few things like that. But for the most part, I think we have more control over our genetic outcomes than we originally thought. Yeah. And, and epigenetics is such a fascinating world um, in so many realms. You can go into so many different ways, even from a neurological standpoint. You can go from a nutritional, biological. It's just amazing. Um, does body types play a role when it comes to like, cause you know, we're talking about like, you know, more muscle, you have more fl metabolic flexibility because you can, your, your, your muscles can store glycogen. So it can hold that sugar when it needs to. Um, is it more common for someone who has like a mesomorph body to where 
they're considered to be a little bit more on the muscular side, and that's why they may have more carb intake that they can handle versus someone who may be, um, I think it's echomorph. I don't know, the more skinnier type where they don't have a lot of muscle mass and they have to be more mindful. Um, or is that too logical and trying to put things in a, in a box in a sense? I haven't seen any direct evidence to show, um, and, it, and it may well be out there that you can say somebody's a certain body type and therefore they're going to have greater flexibility just straight off the bat without working at it. But what I would say is you'll often see that people have um, a, a more, they might have, say, they might be more power dominant or they might be more um, strength based or more endurance based in terms of the way that they should work out. And there's been quite a lot of studies on this. And when you start to optimize your workouts based on your underlying DNA, you can see much as three times the results in terms of performance. So compared to say somebody who's doing a genetically mismatched workout plan. And I think, you know, it's, we're also never all going to be the same size and shape. And you can tell a lot from your bone structure as to how big you're going to be and how big you should be. So if you are somebody who has a very narrow bone structure and is more of that ectomorph type, you're not going to carry as much muscle and you're not going to be able to carry as much weight either in general and stay healthy. No, I agree hundred percent. And I love how you brought up the workout type, because I think that's a big mistake. A lot of people do, um, in my early journey, that's, that's something that, uh, I had made those mistakes, but it, it you know, just for all the listeners out there, you she's dead on for what she's explaining, because when I did my DNA testing, I looked at my, what I always was already doing in workouts and it was three to four days a week of just high intensity, very short time frames, nothing long or extravagant. And my DNA was like, yep, that's what you love. That's why you stay in shape so easily compared to going to the gym for 30 to 45, 50 minutes uh, of lifting and doing all these other things. Um, when it comes to biohacking, can you explain just really quick to the listeners? I've had people on and I've talked about biohacking before, but I would love to hear what is biohacking? Because if someone Googles this, they're going to be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, and people have it. They... they call it different things, right? But essentially, it is hacking your biology. So it's working with your biology for the ultimate expression of health. Um, so it's health optimization through working with your own biology. And people can go kind of as deep and as specific as they want to with the technology is available, um, or kind of, you know, take, you're not really biohacking, I guess, unless you're looking at things like your genetics, your gut health, you're looking at specifics for you that you're tailoring. So even down to things like looking at your chronotype in terms of circadian rhythm and working out, are you more of a night owl? Are you an early morning person? So you can use it for health optimization, but also for performance and for productivity and focus. And the more that you understand about your body and the way that it works, the, the greater the levels of health optimization and performance that you can get. I love that. Can you give an example of a, a, a type of biohacking that you may work with a client or just in general or something you do with yourself um, um, that you can share with the listeners so they can have like an example? Yeah. So an example would be like one I just touched on there. If you understand what your chronotype is, the 5am club is not for everyone. If you're a night owl, you're going to be really working against your biology. Now we know that most people, um, you know, they're in some sort of alignment with the sun 
but there are variations within that. And so an early morning type is going to have a, a way easier ride of getting up in the morning and kind of being part of that club than somebody who is a night owl and maybe gets their best work done at night and gets more into that flow state. So you can achieve a flow state much more easily by understanding when is the best time for me to do everything. Just like when we were talking earlier about genetics, understanding well, what might be the right diet plan for me um, understanding the way that you, your body processes caffeine. So some people metabolize caffeine at a faster rate, and some people are also just more receptive to the effects of caffeine um, in terms of genetically the receptors that they have in the brain. Now, when you understand what yours is like, you can look at the dose of caffeine that you might be using, the timing of it, to make sure that you're enhancing performance without impacting other areas such as sleep. Um, and then there's fun biohacking toys. You know, I've got a few at home, things like, you know, my infrared sauna. I use um, a specific um, red light as well um, for red light therapy that has near and um, near infrared and red light. And then obviously the sauna, far infrared. There's, there's different things. You know, I wear an aura ring, which tracks my heart rate variability and my sleep so I can get data on that. Sometimes I might use something like the Muse if I want to track my um, kind of meditation to see whether I'm getting more into the zone. There's, the sky's the limit in terms of what you can do uh, to, tr to try and sort of hack your biology. I love all the tools you're talking about. I have them all too. Um, <laughs> they're, they're fine, great. aren't they? I, yeah, they are. I actually I interviewed uh, the, the, the inventor of the muse and it was a wonderful neurological conversation we had. Uh, very fascinating. Um, but it, it, they're fun to have. And how fun is it to do? Now, well, let me take this step back. How important is it for someone who wants to have performance, to have da data, to be monitoring things? I, I think data is invaluable. I think that when you have data for most people, it helps to keep them way more accountable than they would be without it. I think you can get a lot from kind of going with your feel. So, you know, if you, if you encounter resistance and you think, well, I've been trying to do that thing of getting up early and getting my best work done and it's not working, then, then, go with that feeling because you're probably right. I think instinct does carry us a long way. But I think once you start to get beyond that and you want more data and you want to understand a bit more what's affecting you, it can be really, really helpful because you can really refine things. And so, you know, tracking things like your heart rate variability, which I do with the Aura Ring overnight, that allows me to see how well recovered I am and whether I really should be pushing myself. You know, at the end of the day, that's what landed me in trouble before you know, pushing ahead with my career, charging ahead, having three children really quickly, it, it, you know, it led to burnout in me. Looking at things like for a type A personality, I would say it's even more important to track because you're probably going to be quite mentally tough and push and push regardless. And so having that data sometimes just helps you to go, actually, do you know what? This is staring me in the face. I can't ignore it. I need to step back because if I don't, then I'm going to head for burnout. So I think it's really, really helpful, both in sort of protecting and prevention and in optimization and performance. And you bring up something, a technology that I just absolutely love. Uh, I use it massively, just as like you do, heart rate variability. You know, and it's, I use it in my chiropractic office. I've been using it since I, for 10 years now. And it's, it's one of those, just to, for the listeners out there, it's just, it's just a tool you need to get involved with. I use the Aura Ring also. Um, and I love how you're able to like see if you are pushing yourself too much and you can look and see how you're doing with heart rate variability. Do you mind sharing a little bit about heart rate variability to the listeners? 
Yeah, so what we're looking at here really is um, the vagus nerve and what we call vagal tone. So we've got the um, you know two two aspects of the autonomic nervous system in terms of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And for the most part, because we're in such a highly stressed state, a lot of the time or highly focused and doing things, even if you don't feel stressed, you're probably in constant doing mode. We're in a very sympathetic dominant state. And if we're not getting enough parasympathetic um, activity to offset that, then our nervous system isn't balanced. And heart rate variability, which is the variation between heartbeats. So our heart doesn't beat consistently. If you take an average person's pulse, pulse, which is somewhere around 60 beats per minute, that's not going to be one every second. There's actually quite significant variations. And that's what heart rate variability is looking at. And it's how well are those two systems communicating with each other um, will show you and how parasympathetically engaged you are. If your heart rate variability is really low, you're probably pushing too hard and you're not having enough recovery. And I think people really underestimate how important recovery is. And if you've got high heart rate variability, then you're um, you're doing pretty well. The thing is, it's very, very individual as well. And I think things like the aura do get to know you and establish a baseline. So comparing yours with somebody else's probably isn't helpful. What you need to be doing is looking at your baseline's being established at and then trying to improve from there and recognizing if it's going low or there's too much swings between one day and the next, maybe you just need to dial things back a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there. Yeah, and it, it's one of the things too, because I love about the aura, it'll give you the trends and you can see. And it's always fascinating, as you brought up a point, no one is the same, everyone's different. Like my wife has a lower number for HRV uh, compared to me, um, but she's consistent with that number. And I'm consistent with mine. And I'm always like, well, I know in the research, there's no, there's, there's no research that says, you know, uh, a certain number is this, it's, you can go as high as you want. Um, but it's been really, really fascinating to, you know, be able to track that and keep that in there. So for all the listeners, I highly recommend looking into an aura ring. It is, it's phenomenal. Um, it also helps with sleep. And I'm, I'm assuming you've had a lot of fun tracking data with that aspect for yourself when it comes to uh, monitoring your sleep and trying to how to hack it to get better deep sleep and REM and all that. Yeah, definitely. Um, sleeps. I mean, I think it's, it's funny because I've just, um, we were chatting earlier mentioning that I just finished a book and, and sleep is the very first chapter. I think sleep is the foundation of both health optimization and performance. And it's the crazy thing is we overlook it and we sacrifice it. We skimp on it so easily. And, you know, as a lawyer, I'm in these crazy all-nighters and totally neglecting sleep and really shouldn't. And making sure that you're getting enough deep sleep is really, really important for that deep repair. It's also important if you're looking to do something like gain muscle um, because human growth hormone is released early in the in that deep slow wave sleep, so that's really key. But also, it's um, important and you know fundamental to health. And then REM sleep, which is the rapid eye movement sleep, is also key for things like emotional regulation. You know, when people say time is a great sleep, a great healer, it's actually REM sleep is a great healer. And so we need that. And if you you know if you're not getting enough of those, you're definitely going to feel off the next day. I love it. And you said you use infrared in your life. Um, mm. This the red light, you, I mean, the red light therapy is what you were saying, I heard. And it, he kind of explained just to the listeners, why is that important? And why is that? Would you call red light therapy and stuff like a biohack to the body? Yeah, I think if you're using a specific device to do it, then um, it is a biohack. I think that um, 
you know, we, we, what we're talking about here um, for the listeners is red light you can see, but there are other aspects of the light spectrum that we can't see, um, such as infrared. Uh, so particularly far infrared, infrared, you can't see that light spectrum. And it's important because we could get that from the sun. And, you know, if we go back a few hundred years, we were actually getting exposed and we were outside and outdoor living so much more that we would have had um, much more exposure to these spectrums of light. But we're not having them now. And so we definitely do. It's not a substitute. We need to be outside more for sure. Um, we need to obviously the hottest part of the day because UV light can be damaging. But these other healing lights are important for our health, but they're also important for regulating circadian rhythm. And so, you know, that's one of the things I do with all of my clients is make sure that you're getting outside for a walk, you know, 20 minutes at some point during the day and earlier in the day is better is going to really help with that circadian rhythm and entrainment so that you sleep better at night. Yeah, that's very, very true. That's very, very true in many ways. Um, the, especially with, uh, in the States here, we had, you know, with COVID and everything, everyone was shut down and all this. And you started all of a sudden seeing people out of the work walking. And I was kind of like educating in a sense, like get outside, get the fresh air, no matter what, don't sit in your house because of brain health and all these other things that's going to limit, um, um, you know, helping with the body circadian rhythms, as you talked about and so much more. It's quite hard, though. I mean, I've been to the States. In some areas, the, the roads are, you know, here in the UK and in Europe, everything's quite compact. And so you can walk, we have small roads, whereas um, it's not always that easy to walk, is it, in, in the States? It depends where you live. If you're like in the, you know, if you're in, in, you know, if you're in the big cities, they always have sidewalks. It's like I'm in Chicago. So we have like a nice grid system, which works wonders. Um, but then, you know, depending like, but where I live in the suburbs, we don't have sidewalks. So we have to walk on the street. Um, you know, so it, it varies, I think, uh, depending on where, where, where someone's at. Mm. But yeah, that's, that's so any other fun you know is there something you're working on experimenting biohacking at this point in your life right now yeah there's a you know what i'm working on at the moment is actually breath work i'm trying out all different types of breath work after i had pneumonia i ended up with um infection induced asthma and my lung function hasn't really turned to normal and so to kind of avoid the overuse of steroids and things like that i'm working on improving that and so I've been looking a lot into breath work um, I you know I do Wim Hof style breathing but that's really that's more of a hermetic stress right so we're really stimulating the system and we're over breathing if you like when we're doing something like Wim Hof but I've been looking at the Buteco method um, I recently interviewed uh, Patrick McEwen who wrote the book The Oxygen Advantage on podcast and it's really interesting just using that method of nasal breathing just what the benefits are. And a lot of people are mouth breathers. You know, if, you, if you're somebody that wakes up in the morning and you've got a dry mouth or you're somebody that gets chat lips, you probably are mouth breathing quite a bit. And the more that you can breathe nasally, so that's in and out through the nose, the better oxygenation we see of um, tissues. So that's helpful for all of our organs, in particular, including our brain. Um, and also we, um, we get better levels of nitric oxide, which can help to lower blood pressure and also it protects us. So you mentioned things like COVID actually our nose is a great filter. And so it, it warms the air before it goes into the lungs. So it's the right temperature. Um, and it also kind of sterilizes a lot of what 
in as well. So that's something I'm playing around with at the moment and breath holds and things like that to try and master my breath. Well, if you don't mind, I'll add something to that. So in pranayama is breath work and yoga, and they have, um, you know, you, they do alternate nostril breathing and things along that nature. And I've always loved nostril. My background's in energy medicine. So when I started learning about alternate nostril breathing, they were like, it energizes one side of the body versus the other. And then as I got into chiropractic school, I started, you know, getting into neurology, to neuroscience, brain, and all this other stuff. And what I found out was, is that actually you balance the brain. You can do that through nostril breathing. And so you can use that to balance the energy, well, also neurologically um, and also energetically in the body just from that. Mm. Yeah, so, my nostril, alternate nostril breathing is really powerful as well, isn't it, for connecting the right and left hemispheres? Yeah, you get hemispheric synchronicity, which is what you want. So like we talk about performance, right? Um, athletes always talk about being in the zone uh, and, you know, or you, you work, you're writing a book. You probably got into the, uh, what's the word they use for writers? I should know this. I wrote two books. Um, writer's creativity or whatever you want to call it. I'm thinking of writer's block, but you get into that moment. Have you, when you're writing your book, you just started flowing. Everything just came to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like a muse. Yes, exactly. And you know, that's when the two spheres are in sync with one another. And then all of a sudden you're in this, you can focus, you're in, in this tense, you know, things can just come to you and you can create or be hyper-focused in that certain way. And the ultra nostril breathing is powerful in many ways with that. Yeah, really, really powerful. But I'm excited you're getting the breath work. That was, uh, I, you know, Wim Hof, obviously, that's where a lot of people, you know, they, he's so popular now. I love how when patients bring it up, hey, have you heard of this guy named like Wim Hof? He does these crazy <laughs> things. And I'm like, the Iceman? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I've been doing his work for seven years. I love it. Um, but yeah, breath work can, you know, that's, you know, you have, um, I try to share with a lot of people too. You have something called the brain, uh, you have the, the brain's pacemaker. And it's actually a part of the brainstem that actually monitors your breath. And it changes the, the energy of the body depending on how you're breathing. So that's, that's why breath work can be so powerful. Mm. And I think that's the thing as well. A lot of people don't realize is that you can use your breath to calm you down. But also, if you're in a highly aroused state and you're over-breathing and kind of hyperventilating, that actually sends a message to the nervous system that there's, there's a threat and it's fight or flight. So no matter how much work you're doing in terms of your mindfulness and your brain and trying to manage those thoughts, if you're not breathing correctly, it's always sending a stress response back. So, yeah. But it's both things together, really. No, it does so much. And even with like not getting, you know, you said mouth breathing and a lot of people are very shallow breathers. Anyhow, they breathe a lot from the upper part of their lungs. And, and what they don't realize is two thirds of the lungs, the lower part of your lungs is actually what absorbs most of the oxygen and, you know, not getting enough oxygen into their body, which will also fire the, think there's a threat in the nervous system. Well, we, I call it gas pedal, but the sympathetics um, will start to fire up and it starts this whole rhythm. And how many people are not taking deep breaths like they should be? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Most people. Would say. And, we, and we can get into a whole podcast just on breathing, but um, I wanted to uh, just kind of shift gears a little then. And, you know, I know you talked a little bit about before when we got on about nutrigenomics and things like that, you mind just diving a little bit in there for the listeners and what that's all about and how do you, I think that, you know, how do you utilize that with your clients and things along that nature? Yeah, for sure. So we talked a little bit about um, carbohydrate sensitivity, which is one area. We can also look at people's fat sensitivities so you know there are there is a small section of the population who are more prone to things like hypercholesterolemia and so something like the ketogenic diet may not be appropriate for them so i always think personalized nutrition is definitely the way to go understand your genetics 
But you can also understand how you might support your system as well. So sometimes we'll see that um, in some people they have a higher toxin um, generation speed. So from things like when we're char grilling or barbecuing meat, it can cause these compounds to be created when meat is cooked at high temperatures or if it's smoked um, and blackened and things like that. And depending on your toxin generation speed, you can actually speed up that process. And if you haven't got um, all of you might have missing pieces in terms of detoxification that can actually pose more of a threat to your system. So by understanding what your genetic predisposition is, we can make really simple modifications. So for example, if we see that someone has a deletion of certain, um, certain SNPs, we can actually just increase things like their cruciferous vegetable intake, which will help them to detoxify and help to produce some of the compounds that they might be missing in that regard. We can also see what their antioxidant baseline state. So we have antioxidants that we can get from our food, but also have antioxidants that are produced by the body. And probably the one that people are most familiar with is glutathione, because that's kind of dubbed the master antioxidant. And what our genetic function is in that regard, then if we know that we have a raised need, we can make sure that we're definitely really focusing on eating deep, colorful vegetables and some fruits that are low sugar, like berries, for example, to really increase our antioxidant intake and things like dark chocolate and really good quality coffee that hasn't been you know, roasted to, to turn it back. Uh, all these things are high in antioxidants and can help. And then you can also take things like curcumin, which is a compound that's found in turmeric, um, that can also help and things like fish oil and casetin, those things can help to actually upregulate our body's own production of certain antioxidants. So there's lots of things. Those are just really a few examples that by understanding your genetics, you can really start to tailor things and also just enhance your body's overall function. Where can someone find, you know, like different tests? I know you mentioned Genova. Is uh, any of them, is there anyone else that you've used to be able to let people able to find, you know, determine what their DNA is and, you know, find out this information? Yeah, so I've used, um, they can go and find out more information on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Um, I've used different testing companies um, depending on what people want. So in terms of the, the level of depth that they want to go into and whether they just want to do some sort of simple array testing, which can be hugely valuable as well. Um, so I use a range of different companies, but they can find out more information on my website and in touch if they want to i've also got a webinar on there that talks a lot about it that they can understand a bit better um i'd say it's important really when you're looking there are so many companies is to work out why you want to test your genetics and then start to understand whether that company's offering the bits that you you want so you know i know like 23andme for example i think revised their data and we were just talking there about things like detoxification i'm not sure that they test all of those now um, and some some companies are much more focused on ancestry, for example. So it really it's it's kind of working out why you want to test first, and then looking at um, which which ones. I like how you you bring up why, right? The intention behind it to not just do it because it sounds cool or something. <laughs> <laughs> Always start with why, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, before we go, I know you have a book coming out around September. Uh, can you mind just, if, if, are you able to share like the title of the book and, you know, just briefly, you know, give us an elevator speech on what it's going to be about and so forth and, and all that? Yeah, for sure. The book, 
I'm still finalizing the title. It's always the last thing to come, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to be called Rethink Health. And it's about um, living younger, longer. So it's all about how to optimize. So looking at kind of four key areas in terms of how you can optimize your sleep, how you can optimize your nutrition, your movement and your stress slash resilience to effectively um, give you kind of the edge in human performance and health optimization. I love it. Can't wait for it to come out um, and definitely get a copy. Um, last you. but not least, how can people get a hold of you? How can they connect with you, find out what you're up to, what you're doing, all that fun stuff, social media, websites, all those things? Oh, amazing. Thank you. Um, so they can find me on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. I'm pretty active on most of the social platforms. Um, on Instagram is probably where I share most of my content and I'm active on there. So that's um, Angela S. Foster. And then I also have a podcast called the High Performance Health Podcast. They can check out that's on, you know, Spotify, iTunes, or, you know, pretty much every podcasting platform, whichever one they prefer. Awesome. Angela, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having you on. I, I, I love the work you're doing. This is like my, uh, me being a chiropractor, we're all about performance. So I'm always trying to max my performance as much as I can. So it was great to just be able to share some, you know, hear, hear from you and what you're doing and your success with everything. So I, I appreciate you and all that you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. 